0: Everybody's here at Lighthouse Community Church. Um, This morning we're going to start with singing some praise and worship to our Father. And like Jamie said, we are very, very thankful that we can worship our God this morning. So let's stand as we sing How Great Thou Art this morning as we sing our first song.
1: Consider all The worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout The universe display. and Then sings my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou great Thou art, and sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. On that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my god how great thou art Then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to How great thou art.
0: We're going to read some scripture this morning, um, talking about a little bit about confession and why that's important as, as believers. Because when we look in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we see that it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we think about that this morning, we know that God is able. And we know that He alone can take away our sins and that He alone through the cross can save us from that debt. And so as we continue singing this morning about Him Him being the cornerstone of our faith, about Him being able to do these things, let us just focus on that this morning and just be thankful because I know I am thankful and I know we all are thankful that we serve a Lord that was gracious enough to come be with us and to save us. So.
1: Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly trust in Jesus' name Sing Christ Alone this morning It's Christ alone Corner My anchor holds within the veil. In Christ alone. It's Christ alone. shall come with trumpet sound Oh may I then in Him be found Dressed in His right this alone Fall this stand before the throne Sing that chorus one more time It's Christ alone Cornerstone we made strong In the Savior's love Through the storm He is the Lord Lord of all It's Christ alone The cornerstone weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm he is Lord Lord And I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me And I heard about His groaning of his precious blood's atoning then i repented of my sins and won the victory oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. And he loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me i heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see and then i cried dear jesus Come and heal my broken spirit And somehow Jesus came and brought To me the victory Oh, victory in Jesus Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me With His redeeming blood, He loved me. Ere I knew Him, and all my love is to Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood, and I heard about. A mansion He has built for me In glory And I heard about The streets of gold Beyond the crystal sea About the angels singing And the old redemption story some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory One more time No victory in Jesus my Savior forever He sought me and bought me with His his redeeming blood He loved me, ere I knew him and all my love is to him He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood
0: Brother Wine, would you please listen a word we'll prayer
1: God is able, He will never fail, and He is almighty God. Greater than all we see, greater than all we ask, He has done great things. Lifted up, He defeated the grave to life, Our God is able In His name We overcome For the Lord Our God is able And God is with us And God is on our side He will make a way Far above all we know, far above all we hope. And he has done great things lifted up, he defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is a go before he will never leave us he will never leave us and god is for us and he has open arms he will never fail us he will never fail us lift it up he defeated the grave. race to life Our God is able In His name we overcome For the Lord our God is able For the Lord our God is able For the Lord
2: our God is able able. this morning, if you would, let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. And um going to enjoy preaching through this this morning. If you uh, look in your Bible, if you're already there, or when you get there, you'll probably see where um, it has this section called Jesus and the woman of Samaria, or Jesus and the woman at the well. A uh, pretty known scripture. Uh, but we won't quite make it to that this morning. What we're going to get to is verse 6. And... Verse 7 is when you see the woman introduced and Troy is going to knock that scripture off the part next week, but this whole uh, woman at the well we'll be preaching through for three weeks now because um, if you look in your scriptures you'll see that the story of the woman at the well goes into verse 45 and so instead of knocking that out in uh, one sermon there's a lot to handle. So um, this morning though what we're going to see and what I want to do is I want us to give a little bit of a background so Troy doesn't have to tackle that as much next week and then there's two things about Christ, um, but before I get to any of that, I wanna I wanna read the scripture. So if we would, let's stand for the reading of God's word, and then we'll pray after. It's this. It was then John. And for Galilee it's called Sichar name of near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph Jacob's well was there so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour let us pray heavenly father we come now we thank you for your word as we Looked out last Sunday night, God, that your word is infallible and true, Father, and that we can trust every word that it says to us, God, and that we can apply it and it can teach and to admonish and to grow and to build us up and to mold us who you're calling us to be, Father. And I pray that that's exactly what it does this morning, God, through your word, you create us to be the men and the women that you desire us to be, God, that we understand not only who you are, God, but what you are calling us to. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we thank you in all things, and your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. So as we get into the sermon this morning, I kind of, like I said earlier, I have a two-folded purpose, two things I want to do. First, I want to explain what's going on with this whole place called Samaria. And I think many of us know what's going on. We have an understanding about completely true and completely honest about it or something that we may have misunderstood over time. And the second thing is we're going to see two subtle uh, hints of Christ's Nature, and what I mean by that is that Christ is completely God and completely man, and we're going to see both of those accounts in these scriptures this morning. So we're going to, at the end of this, at the end of going through the scripture, we're going to take a moment, and I'm going to teach through both of those, and then we're going to take go into the application. But first and foremost, let's get into the scripture itself. And what we see is in verses one, uh, it says this: when Jesus learned the Pharisees." had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So let's let's flip back a little bit. If if your pages are open, you can look back uh, to the beginning of chapter 3. In the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus is having this conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the man that came to him at night, and he asked him how can one be born again, and Nicodemus just didn't understand this thing. And this is where we see one of the most famous scriptures in the book of John, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world, for so the world may be through him. And I know it's paraphrased. But, um, and so what we see is that this moment is that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and as he, after he talks to Nicodemus, you see in verse 22, where it says that after this, the Jesus and his disciples went to Judea countryside. And that's the sermon, if you remember back, I talked about how Jesus would have went to an area very similar to Vernon, right? He left a big city, which would be Columbus, Tupelo, or something of that nature. Left a big city, went to the countryside, which what we could kind of think of today as Vernon. Uh, I think Frank was here, and he said something about backwards that morning. So what we can see is that Jesus left, he goes to this Judean countryside, and he begins to oversee the baptism of individuals by his disciples. And in that moment is when John the Baptist's disciples come to John and with a Jew they're having this discussion about what the meaning of sanctification was, what the meaning of baptism was. And then in that moment what John decided to do was to explain that it was okay that these people him follow above. And that's what we pick up this morning is that these Pharisees did the same thing that John's disciples did. They, they found out that these people were leaving the disciples and that they were going to Jesus, that Jesus was growing in popularity. And these Pharisees understood this. They come to understand this. And so it says that Jesus learned, of them, learned that the Pharisees began to recognize all of these people was going to Jesus and following after Him. His popularity was growing. And so, to me, first and foremost, it begs the question to ask is, why would Jesus get up and leave when his popularity was growing? Because in our mindset, what we think of how to evangelize and how to reach people is have somebody come in that draws a crowd and, and preach the gospel to many at a time, many come to salvation, and then disciple them, right? That's what we think of so often. So why didn't Jesus do this? Why did he leave in the middle of his popularity? As he was coming, very known in there, why would he depart and leave from Judea? Well, we really don't know. But what we can see throughout the Gospels themselves and time and time again is that these Pharisees and these Sadducees would come to Jesus angrily. And they would desire to kill him. And what we would see is that Jesus would, he would sneak out or he would go a different way and he would leave the area because he would always say that my time is not yet come. Meaning that his death was not yet come. That it was not time for him to die for the, the sakes and the sins of the world. And we don't know that's exactly what's going on here, but we see that that could be what's going on. Is That Jesus decides to leave because it's not yet his time to be persecuted or put in jail or to die for the sake of the gospel. But rather, it was time for him to depart. But what we're going to see is that Jesus left for a reason. And we're going to talk about that as we get there. And one thing I wanted to touch on, and this is just a slight thing that we weeks ago when we talked about baptism, verse two it says, "Although Jesus, what we see in this verse is that Jesus did not physically baptize people. Uh, what he did was he oversaw the baptism of individuals by the disciples. And we see that this could be important for a couple of reasons, uh, namely when we think of what Paul." I didn't baptize you for two reasons. One, my calling is the preaching of the gospel. And two, so that you wouldn't boast that you were baptized by Paul. And um, really, we don't know if it's the second one for Jesus. We don't know if it's that people would boast that they were baptized by Jesus, but uh, human nature would flare up, and that would be exactly what would have happened. But ultimately, the reason Jesus didn't baptize is because He was focused on preaching the good news that He has come to proclaim. That His focus was to heal the sick, heal the lame, and preach the gospel, preach the good news of His sanctification, His glorification provided through Him, and that He would use the disciples to accomplish that. And so I just wanted to touch on that because it's here again, and then verse three, he says, "And it left Judea and departed about again for Galilee." Now this is a very significant thing to think about because Jesus, and he's going back to Galilee. He's going to Galilee, and so Judea is in the southern area of the country, and um, and Galilee is in the northern. So they have to travel a distance to get there, from south to north. And when you, if you start in the south and you're going north, you go the direction of what? North, right? Pretty plain and simple. Um, but what we see is that in between these two destinations was a place named Samaria. And as we're going to get to it in just a second, I'll go ahead and jump in it. We see that many times what the Jews would do is they would actually, uh, they would actually go a little west and they would cross. Through the Jordan River. They would go over the Jordan River and then they would get on this road called the Jordan Highway and then they would take it north to get to Galilee. And they would do this because what they were trying to do was avoid Samaria. So they would actually go a little bit off course and take a longer trip just to avoid Samaria. And so often we think of this as that they want to avoid Samaria because they're the Gentiles and that they're impure and that they couldn't communicate and talk with them and that's part of it. But that's not the whole thing that's going on here, because when they would cross over the Jordan, they would get on this highway called the Jordan Highway. They would actually encounter encounter Gentiles, and they would be just as uh, they would just be just as um, dirty in a sense and unworthy of the Jews in their mind, the Jews um, communication and business and all that. So it's not just because of them being Gentiles, but it goes back in history of why the Jews hated. The Samaritans so much. And uh, I want to be clear about this is that the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. It wasn't a one-sided thing. It wasn't that the Jews just hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't understand why. It's that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And what it does is it goes back to uh, even when King uh, his kingdom ship that he he became king over Israel. And what he did was he took and he moved the headquarters of of the Israelites to Jerusalem in which then uh, years later the temple would be built there and then so they, they moved from one area to Jerusalem, built the temple there and so these uh, Samaritan uh, Israelites what they did was they would get on the mountain and that's where they would worship um, and then later on we see that the Israelites were split up in two kingdoms the northern and the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, um, when they went into exile, just like the southern did, the northern kingdom came back. And when they came back, they had married, uh, into pagan gods, pagan religions. And because of that, their, their area, the Samaritans have now become infiltrated by pagan gods, pagan worship, and all of these things. And so the Jews separated from them. And so this is, this is why they hated one another, is that the Samaritans thought they knew everything and they had it right, and the Jews thought they had And they had it, right? And so they just hated one another. And so because of that, these Jews would go the opposite direction. They would go away from Samaritans so they wouldn't even deal with them. And honestly, it's because they hated each other. It's not anything to be unclean or anything like that. Because what we see in this account that Troy will read next week is that the disciples actually go and do business with the Samaritans. So the only things that they couldn't do with the Samaritans is eat with them. They couldn't share utensils and cups and things like that. They could do business with them. They could do all of that. The only thing that would make them unclean is if they ate with them. And so what we see here is that Jews hated them so much that they would always go the opposite direction. They would go the opposite direction to avoid them. But that's when you verse 4. And in verse 4 it says this, And he had to pass through Samaria... So he came to a town of Samaria called Sikar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So I just explained that the Jews didn't go this direction, right? They they wouldn't go through Samaria. What they would do is they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. But what we read in verse 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so when I read that, I have to ask the question of why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Why does the Scripture say it like that? It doesn't say that He chose to go through Samaria or He went through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. But we just found out that He didn't, right? There was another route He could have taken. But many people would say that Jesus So what? So that So what we see later on in this story And I think it's verse 43. It says, after two days, He departed from Galilee. Departed for Galilee. So it can't be that Jesus was... Jesus wasn't in a hurry. That's not why He went through Samaria because when He got to Samaria, He preached the gospel to the, the woman at the well and then she goes into the town. They come back to Jesus. The, a revival happens in the town. They come to follow after Christ. And what He does is He stays there two more days to, to preach and to teach these people. So Jesus could not have been in a hurry and that's not why He went through Samaria. So why did Jesus Samaria? Why does it say that He had to go through Samaria. And what my conclusion is, and I think it's the right one, is that Jesus is an all-knowing Godhead. That Jesus is sovereign, Jesus is all-knowing, and He's omnipotent. That Christ knew exactly what He would encounter when He got to Samaria, because He is God Himself. And the reason Jesus had to go through Samaria is He knew exactly who He would meet at that well and who knew exactly how she would respond to His good news. And He knew what the outcome of that would be, that she would go into the city, and she would tell those that the Messiah is here. They would come back to Him, and a revival would break out. Jesus had to go through Samaria, not for convenience sake, not because there was no other way, but because this was the plan of God. This was His sovereign plan. This is exactly what He wanted to accomplish, is the saving of this town. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria so that His name and His Gospel could be preached in that area. And what I find so significant and so important and so encouraging about this is that we have a God that seeks after those that are lost. We have a God that saves the lost. We have a God that goes after them and calls them to Himself. And when He does, they respond accordingly. We have a God that saves those that are lost. And when Troy gets to it next week, you're going to see that this Samaritan woman is a lost person that has been married to four different men that is living with another. And this is a woman that they would have called a prostitute or 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 Jezebel, or whatever you want to call it. And this is a woman that needed somebody to save her. And Jesus went through Samaritan Samaritan, to do so. And that is why when we read verse 4, He had to pass through. But it goes on, and this is just something very unique I find in this story, is that it says, and He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, knew the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Then you read on in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So this field that if you read in Genesis, you see the end of Genesis that Jacob gives this field to Joseph. And when he does so, this well is there. And its name is known as Jacob's well. And in Genesis, this well was a vibrant well that produced water and it sprung up and, and it did this, exactly that. And then what we see in this story is that, once again, this well is still providing water. And what's so significant about that is that this well is 2,000 years old at this point. This wasn't a fresh well. This wasn't anything new. This is a well that had been in the desert for 2,000 years, still providing water for the people that live nearby. And to take it a step farther, what is so significant is that well still exists today that 2,000 years after Jesus' account is still providing water. So in 4,000 years, this well that that Jacob dug and then gave to his son Joseph still provides water. And you make that comparison to what Jesus is about to say to this woman, that He's providing an eternal well, eternal water that's going to Thirst, to, uh, give the gift uh, to quench the thirst of salvation. And it's just an amazing thing that he compares it to this well that has been providing for people for 4,000 years. That's not the part of the sermon I want to get at. I just found that so significant and so just amazing that this well would provide for 4,000 years in the middle of the desert. And then in verse 6, the last part says this. So Jesus, wearied, he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. First thing I want to address is this. It was sixth hour. The sixth hour, the way the Jews would count time, it wasn't like us. It's 6 a.m. in the morning, right? Many of us have already been up a few hours, and some of us thinking about waking up. When we think of the six hour, we think of 6 a.m. But the Jews, what they did is they started their day at 6 a.m. And so when they counted that point after, then they added hours to it. So, if they started at six and they added two hours, it would be eight. And in this situation, if they started at six and they add six hours to it, it would have been 12 o'clock. It would have been high noon. That in the middle of the day, that these, they are at this well. And that's going to be significant for Troy next week that, that this woman's at the well in the middle of the day. Uh, But what's so significant about us and for what us, for us to understand this morning is the third word in this part of, that I read. So, Jesus was traveling. You may not notice that, you may not think about it much, but it says that Jesus was tired. And what's so amazing about that is that who Jesus is, is the Son of God. He's God Himself in human flesh. That He created the world by speaking. That He is the one and was God, God's instrument of creation, of salvation, of all of this. And in verse 6, we see that as they were traveling, this man, our Savior, our King of kings, Lord of lords, in His human flesh was tired. And this is just an amazing thing, is that the God that created all things would find Himself tired on this earth. And this is one of the number one Scriptures that we point to when we talk about Jesus' humanity. Then just as earlier as I discussed that he is, God, he is God Himself, that's how He knew the plan of salvation for the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans. But also, He is completely man as well. That in the middle of the day, after walking through the desert, in the beating sun, in the, the blowing of the sand, that Jesus found Himself sitting at a well, thirsty and tired. This is a fantastic thing for us. In a minute, we're going to look at why that is so, so important for us. But in reality, what we see is that Jesus is completely man as well as completely God. So, so far, um, just to sum up everything, and then I'm going to jump into the two natures of Christ, is that the Samaritans is where Jesus um, is going from Judea to Galilee, And normally they would depart, they would go in the opposite direction, but Jesus decides to go upwards. He doesn't allow hatred, He doesn't allow um, a dislike for these people to prevent Him to go into these people. And so what He does, instead of going the cultural norm and going around, He goes straight through Samaria. And what we see in that is that He shares His good news to this woman that in the end goes and shares it to those in their community. Because Christ is completely God and completely man, this was possible. That because He was completely God, He knew God's sovereign plan. Because He was completely man, He got tired and sat at the well to meet this woman. And what's so, so important about that is our salvation is held in the same two things. is that we have a God that stepped out of heaven, that put on the flesh, and, the, the, and live the life that we live so that He could die the death that we deserved, And because of that, we now have salvation. But both of these things are so, so important this morning. And the first one I want to look at is God and nature. And the re- three things and three reasons that God, that Jesus was completely God as He was completely a man, and three reasons why this is so, so necessary is this, is that the first one is to bring a perfect sacrifice that he had to be completely obedient to the law of God. That to be perfectly submitted to God's law, he had to be completely God. Humankind is born, in, born into sin, and we sin by nature. And when Christ came into the world as God Himself, and He conquered this aspect that He being completely God could not sin, so therefore He took on human form, but He lived a perfect life, and because He did, God was the only thing that could accomplish this. Secondly, what we see is that He could be the only one that could bear the wrath of God. That God stepping out of heaven is the only one that could truly take on His wrath. And why that is true is if you think about what hell is. And what hell is, is an eternal damnation away from the Father and having the wrath of God poured out upon one person. That, and when one dies and they don't know Christ, they go to hell and for eternity and eternity and eternity and eternity, they sit under the pouring of God's wrath. And that lasts forever. And so what we see in that is that mankind cannot deserve, and cannot save another or save themselves nonetheless is that it took God Himself to take on God's wrath to save us. The third thing we see is that only God could apply the salvation to the entire world that would call upon His name. That only God could take and live a perfect life. It could take on the wrath of God and that could then call those to Himself. And what we see this is in Psalms 49, verses 7 and 10. It says this, Truly no man can ransom another or give god the price for of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit for he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth in to others verse 7 says truly no man can ransom another That we cannot save another from eternal damnation. We cannot save another from that. But he goes on and says to give God the price of His life. That we cannot even save ourselves. We cannot even live in such a way that we could pay the price of sin. And so it took God Himself, God Himself stepping out of heaven and taking on the form of a human to accomplish this. That the only way that we can be saved is through God Himself stepping out of heaven. And just in case you don't know that, that. Separates Christianity from all other religions is that God would take and step out of heaven and die for His people. We don't see that anywhere else. We don't see that in Muhammad. We don't see that in Buddhism. We don't see that. Definitely don't see it in atheism and agnostics or anything like that. But we don't see this anywhere else that God would take and step out of heaven and die for His people. And this is the only way it could have happened is that God accomplished it. But then we can't miss the fact that it also took that he be perfectly human and completely human as well. And we see that there's going to be some aspects I'm going to look at, but why this one is so important is that it also had to live in sin. The God could not just step down, die a death. He had to come. He had to be born. He had to live the life he lived. We live. He had to be under sin, but not sin. And he had to live this life and die the death he died, so that the wrath, the wrath and the punishment of God could be poured upon him. And only a human could survive for this. Only a human could provide the salvation for this. This is what we see in in Hebrews 2:17 and 18, and we're going to read it in just a minute, but this is what we see in that, is that only God being completely God and completely man could suffice for our sins. But two reasons why this is also important for us outside of salvation itself is one is that He can sympathize with our experience, trials and temptation. And the second one is that He is our perfect human example. Is that because Christ is completely God and completely man, he now can sympathize with us. Hebrews two, seventeen and eighteen says therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiations for the sins of the people, for because he himself suffered when tempted, yet he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. This had to be a part of salvation. This had to be the plan of God. This is the only way salvation could come upon humanity is that God would step out of heaven and take on the flesh of humanity and live a perfect life because that's the only way salvation could be accomplished. But because of that, we now have a high priest that also can sympathize with us in our experiences, our trials, and our temptations. That not only in temptation that we see Christ conquered and he denied the the, the pleas and the bargains of Satan three times after going 40 days without food. Not only did he deny that temptation and all other temptations in this life, but he's been through the experiences we've been through, been through the trials we've been through he lost friends he lost family he had difficulty Jesus worked he was a carpenter he didn't sit in the house and study all day long he went and he lived life and because of that we can look to him in all moments of life and then second is a perfect example of that life Philippians 2 5 and 8 says have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count in equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in the human form he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross this is exactly what Christ did for us that he stepped out of heaven he took on the form of man and because of that he lived on this life a perfect and holy life then now not only can we look to Christ in the moments of difficulties but now we can look to him in every part of life and he is our example to live up to but what's so significant and so important to even remember in this is that only way that we can live the life we're called to live in Christ Jesus is through Christ Jesus. The only way we can live a life that remotely represents Him is through the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in within and in every one of us that have come to Him in salvation. So when we see all of this, what we see is the two natures of Christ: the human nature, which is the nature that knew that He had to go through Samaria to save the woman at the well and those in the town. And then the human nature, they got tired and sat at the well. And what we see in this story is they worked perfectly together. That he knew he had to go through there, and he knew when he got there he would be tired, and he would sit exactly where he sat, and he would meet that woman exactly where she would be at the middle of the day. This is exactly what he does for us in salvation, is that he knew that he had to come and be God himself, wrapped in man, so that he could meet us exactly where we needed to be for our salvation and our hope in Him. And this morning, as I come to an end, and I want to just draw out some application for us this morning. First and foremost, I want us to look back at these Jews and these Samaritans. When I talked about these Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. The Jews would actually go the opposite direction so that they would not have to see the Samaritans. What we see in their example, is like we see in a lot of examples in this world, is exactly what not to do, right? We see their example, we see their Jews example and how they responded to the Samaritans by not go, not even going near them. What we are called to do is the opposite of that. We're called to love all humankind. We're called to share the gospel with all individuals, not just those that look like us and talk like us and make the same amount of money as us and work the same kind of jobs as us and have the same hobbies as us. We're called to share the love of Christ to all humans, all people we encounter. Secondly, I just find it so important that we find a joy in the fact that we have a Savior that goes looking for those that are lost. We not only see it in this Scripture where He finds Himself sitting there in front of the woman at the well, but we also see it where it says that God leaves the 99 to find the One. That we have a God that seeks those that are lost to save them. And there's a great joy in that that we find that that God loved us so dearly that He did that exactly for us that have called upon our They called upon His name. But also, it can bring joy when we have family and friends that don't know Christ. That we have a God that is going to seek after them as we pray for them and seek the opportunity to share Christ with them. That we have a God that will seek after them as well. Third, I was hope that we'll understand that Christ is completely man and God. And this was and is our only hope for atonement. That the only reason what happened on the cross was accomplished and possible was the fact that God, Christ was completely God and completely man. That that is where our hope lies. And there's a mystery there. It's a hard thing to understand, I know. Fourth is that we understand that God loved mankind so much that He took the punishment of sin upon His shoulders. That we have a God, just look at the God nature of who He was. We have a God that knew perfect life that knew no sin, no problems, no issues. He had nothing wrong with Him. He was in perfect unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what He chose to do was step out of heaven and die for people that were ungrateful and unworthy of His love. That we have a God that loved us so much that He would do that. Then last and final of all, is that we have a God that took on the form of man and we now have the example of Christ to live by not only in difficulties, not only in hard times, not only when life seems to fall apart and we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to handle the situation we're in, but also when life is just normal and we know that we have to get up and go to work the next day and we need to live for Him and we need to work for Him and we need to do the things that we do to glorify His name. We have a Savior in Christ Jesus that did exactly that, that He became man and took on flesh and He is our perfect example of that. And now, according to Scripture, what we see is that all power and authority has been given unto Him and now we can do it through His power of the Holy Spirit living within us. So this morning as we went over this sermon and we looked at these seven verses. I don't know how God may be communicating with us and talking with us, but as Troy comes and gets ready to sing this last song, maybe you just want to sit back and be amazed at the fact that we have a God that would step out of heaven for us. Or maybe you want to sit back and Just be amazed that we have a God that has the ability to be God and be man at the same time. Because He's not limited by anything. He's the creator of all things and He is in control of all things. And so this morning as we come and we sing this last song together, respond how God will be calling you to, reflect on it how God would desire for you to, but let His Word shape your life this morning. Heavenly Father, we love You, we thank You, we praise You. God, in You will we find... There's a hope that you provided through Christ Jesus that was completely man and completely God. God, we don't understand that completely. There's a lot of mystery there of how that's even possible. Even if we go back to his birth and his conception. Father, there's so many things that we just don't understand about that, God. Allow us to put that aside and just marvel at the fact that you accomplished it. God, you accomplished it. The first and foremost to bring you glory, but secondly, to save those that are lost. And those of you would have, God, I just pray this morning that that would be the way we respond to how you're calling us to, God. We know that your word teaches and admonishes and corrects and builds us up and molds us to be who we need to be, God. And if you're molding us this morning, God, continue to do so as you would. God, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. And because of this, God, because of your salvation, God, we are here. God, let us sing your praise and your this In your son's perfect and holy name where they stand for this last song.
3: Like a hurricane, I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of this wind and mercy When all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so and he is jealous just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how He loves us so Oh, how He loves us How He loves us so Yeah, He loves us drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if his grace is an ocean we're all sinking. so heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way that he loves us oh how he loves us oh Yeah, he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh.